chapter 17. And uh, that's where we'll begin our message today. The title of the message is Savior, God, and King. Savior, God, and King. It's always good for us to read uh, through the Bible like we have been doing. Uh, there's a lot of things that we find as we study the Word of God together about areas that are a disappointment, but a reality with every one of us. I will say this, uh, the video that I just showed you all, in it, if you want to look it up, it's called 40 Brave Soldiers. You can find it on YouTube. It may be a little bit clearer for you to understand if you look it up yourselves. But uh, Tom Green, I remember when I went through seminary, this was a song that, man, I, I just fell in love with. And uh, it's hard, you know, for me to maintain my composure uh, after that song. And, and the reason is, is because I don't know how many of you have got the jest, but there was a, a man by the name of Aglios who was the chief jailer. And uh, he was put in charge of those 40 men. And it was Aglios, the jailer, who rent off his clothing and joined the uh, 39 that remained out on the ice and died with them. So it shows you the power of the testimony of Christ. It's a moving song. And I want us to think about that a little bit, you know, not just in the message of the song, but I want us to consider what we read in the book of Judges, chapter 17, and see if this doesn't speak to us in the same way. In verse 1 it says, And there was a man of Mount Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said unto his mother, The eleven shekels of silver that were taken from thee, about which thou cursest and spakest also of mine ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And the mother said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. And when he had restored the eleven hundred shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord from my hand for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Now, therefore, I will restore it unto thee. And he restored the money unto the mother, and the mother took two hundred shekels of the silver and gave it to the founder, who made a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had an, a house of gods and made an ephod and teraphim and consecrated one of his sons who had became his priest. I want you to pay particular attention to this verse. And in those days there was no king in Israel. But every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now, most of us would read the, the upper portion about Micah, and we would think, well, how in the world can people just fall away into things like this? How can someone who is of Israel, maybe of you know, this line of Ephraim and things like that, how can this Micah just suddenly turn his attention away from God and create a molded image and there worship that image as well and really make an ephod and all the other things to uh, show that there was a need of a priest to stand up before him? But then the, the whole thing that comes into place was really answered for us in verse 6. And it said there was no king in Israel. Now what's interesting is you find that same statement made many times throughout the rest of Judges. In fact, the very end of Judges, I want you to look at this for me. The very end of Judges, in chapter 21, verse 25, 
also gives you a highlight of the judges when it says, and in those days there was no king in Israel. Now the reality is, is that if we look at it from the surface, we might say, well, there was no king of kings, things like this that were there. But I want to point out to you that the reality was they had taken their attention and turned it away from God and his leadership, and instead he had, they had taken their attention and they looked internally and said, well, we be our own gods. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. The reason that I wanted to show you this video was the mindset of the Romans during the days that they walked upon the earth. There were men that were classified as gods. There were men who were classified as leaders. But they never really wanted to give the title of king to anybody. You know, about the reality is, is that when Caesar came to power, he not only wanted to be called God, he wanted to be called the king so that his lineage would follow. And as long as you had that kingship, then there would have been more of a royalty. But that meant that the Senate had to agree to it. Well, there was never an agreement. And so for that reason, they offered him God, meaning little g, because it meant nothing. It was no power. There was no purpose behind it. I bring this question to each and every one of us today as we study, is he really the king of our lives, or do we see Jesus Christ tucked away in a corner? And that is the purpose of the message, and I pray the Lord will just continue to bless and guide us as we consider him to this day. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Again, Lord, I pray that you will help us. I pray that in everything we do today might be for your honor and glory. And help us, dear Father, to understand the things that are written in the scripture, that we might question these things of ourselves and that we might answer them according to thy perfect word. Lord, it's not enough to say that you are the God of my life. You are my Savior. I want to make sure that you are the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings in my life. And when I understand that, Father, then everything comes into perspective. I really believe in your royal leadership. I really believe that you have the purpose and the plan over my life, and that I will live accordingly as you see fit. Help me now, Father, to be faithful unto you in all things. Give the power that is necessary for the preaching. And Lord, bring us under a heavy conviction. We know, Lord, that we are far removed from the days of the early congregation that you had established in Jerusalem. But now, Father, as we look for your imminent return, we should always be ready for the coming and the, the said coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the day will come, Lord, when we shall attend and we will know the testimony of who you truly are. Help us then, dear Father, and may we humble ourselves in your sight as you would have us. And guide and bless now in Christ we pray. Amen. When I started the message, I took many different paths along this way, and I, I tried to write everything down. And so, while some of this may sound somewhat scattered, I want us to think about how terrible it seems to us that we really don't have a leadership or we don't have God to lead us and direct us.
As I read the book of Judges, I want you to think about this. We, we see the closure of the book of Joshua. And I want you to see this with me, if you will. We're, we're going to do quite a Bible study today. So just one chapter back. Let's go to Joshua chapter 24. And I want you to hear the words of our dear brother as he announces to the, the children of Israel what he is going to say to them. Now, I have posted this one verse particularly up in my house. But just because a verse is posted doesn't mean it has a place. Look, look at verse 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, that's the verse I want us to begin with. First of all, when we think about the word Lord, it means that we are subject to one who is greater than me. Now, think about that for a moment. How many of us oftentimes refer to Jesus Christ as our Savior? And many times we might even say the Lord Jesus Christ and not really understand the full application of the word Lord. But let's go on. In verse 16, And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord. Now that's, that's pretty important, isn't it? They did not know him as Christ. They were anticipating him coming as Christ. They did not know Jesus Christ, and I'm going to prove that to you here in a little bit. But more than anything, they looked for his coming. Look at verse 17. For the Lord our God... down to them was, I see you as God. And we the way wherein we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us the people, even the Amorites, which dwell in the land, Therefore will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. Now, isn't that interesting? We will serve the Lord, aspect, comma, for he is our God. Now, that is the hardest part of everything we do. Do we see him as the Lord Jesus Christ, our personal Savior? Now, if I put it in like that, we don't break it down. But if I break it down into Lord and I break it down into God, if I break it down into Christ, I see every aspect of who he is. Now that is the purpose of the message today. Look at verse 19. And Joshua said unto the people, You cannot serve the Lord. Man, you better be careful what you say. If I say that we're going to do this and we don't do it, it's going to come back with consequences. How many of us remember when Jesus Christ was crucified that the religious rulers said, One. 
You cannot serve the Lord If you forsake the Lord, once again, there's the breakdown. If you forsake Him and serve strange gods, then and the people said unto Joshua, No! But we will serve the Lord. Boy, they, they understood what they were getting at. They understood the aspect of it. And Joshua said unto the people, You are witnesses against yourselves. Now, here's the thing. If I, truly if I truly announce that Jesus Christ is my Savior, that's one aspect. But if I announce that He is my Lord and my God, that is another one altogether. How many of you see that? How many of you understand that He is that powerful and that plenteous and He should be everything to us? Notice what else. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore put away, he said, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. I will say this, is that as we read the book of Judges, we find that the people started off hot. Man, they were excited about serving God. Everything about them was right down the line. But as time progressed, they became less interested in the things of God and more interested in themselves. And the reality is, is that we have been given a tremendous opportunity to understand who he truly is. Let's hold our place, if you will, and let's go over to the book of John, chapter 14. And in the book of John, chapter 14, we find something that is also interesting about him being the one true God. This is the final testimony after John, chapter 13. I believe this happened in the garden when the first three chapters, including John chapter 17, when he prayed. But notice what he said in response to what Philip had to say. Look at verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father. This is the hardest part. I mean, everybody with me here just for a moment. Now think about this. They knew that Jesus Christ was different. They could see that he was different. I mean, after all, he could speak and even nature itself would have to pay attention. He could calm the storms. He could walk on the water. He could do all these things. They understood that he was that different. He could pass through the crowds and no one could harm him until it was time for him to be turned over to the, the, the high priest and to these soldiers that were on their way to take him. But notice, he pointed out to them, this was a private conversation between the first congregation and himself. And notice he says, Believe that I am in the Father. Now that's the hardest part for every one of us to do. And I mean that. I, I know right now we're getting ready for this great big election. How many of you all feel, I've had, my phone has just been blasted. I mean, my phone is, are you a Republican? Are you going to vote Republican? I really love keeping them on edge. I don't answer them. Are you going to vote for this person or that person? I love keeping them on the edge. I'm not going to answer them. Why? Because that is my choice. And I will always vote. I hope, I hope that I always vote. 
based upon what does God want me to vote? I want you to think about that for a moment. If it's really what God wants me to do, then he should be the one that is first and foremost in my thinking. Reality is this. When John, when, when John records this and Jesus says to them, I want you to go from what you normally think and I want you to consider what I really want to give you, then this is going to be amazing. And I want to show you just how much that they really believed in what they were holding to. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. I want you to see this. In Acts chapter 1, we find this particular statement that was amazing to me. Look at, go down to verse 6, if you will. Here they watched Jesus raised from the dead. Here is the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ is getting ready to ascend into heaven. And they ask him this question. When they therefore were come together, they ask of him, Lord, that's a good, good place to start, right? Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? That was on their mind. That is what they really wanted to focus upon. Not their own spiritual condition, but upon their mindset and what they wanted. How many of you remember in Mark chapter 10, when James and John had made the statement that, uh, Hey, can we sit on your left hand? Can we sit on your right? How many of you remember that? And the Lord said, it's not for me to decide which side you sit on. That's left to my Father. But you don't even know what you're asking. Can you, can you even bear... by Sister Nancy that Brother Randy had taught these two fine young men about the, the persecutions that arose with these apostles. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. If you want to read about how much they understood their dedication to God and why I showed you that in the life She went to high school. Her name was Rachel. Weeks before she had received Jesus Christ as her Savior, Michael Olivia Smith wrote a song, This Is Your Time, and it's all about her. They did not ask her, Do you believe in God? They really asked her, Do you believe in Jesus Christ? And when they pointed the gun at her head and they asked her that question, she said, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior and my God. And they pulled the trigger and took her life. How many of us could stand that? And when her life was taken from her, 
I guarantee you, she never understood, maybe she never imagined the great reality that was going to happen around her life. It's one thing to say that I believe that he is my God. It's another thing to understand that he is truly who he says. Let me show this to you. In the book of Hebrews chapter 7, in Hebrews chapter 7, we find this man that is thrust on the scene to us out of, out of Genesis chapter 14. And the man that comes upon the scene with our visit, if you will, is a man by the name of Melchizedek. Well, in chapter 6, verse 20, but just one verse back, it says, Whether the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, how many of you all know that Melchizedek was called the king of Salem, the king of peace? And he was also the priest of the Most High God. He is the only one that is allowed in all of the, New Te all the Old Testament for us to see these two orders come together. And this was before the law. But when Jesus Christ came on the scene, unlike Uzziah the, the king, who decided he was going to be priest and was smote with leprosy, Jesus Christ took the two and he combined them together into one, and that's who he is. We have a high priest who is... really bring us down to where we are. This is where the rubber meets the road. But the reality is in verse 1 of chapter 7 it says, for, the, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham, to him also Abraham gave a, a tenth part of all. First by the inspiration, by the interpretation king of righteousness, and after that the king of Salem, which is the king of peace. May I point this out to you? The other king, the king of wickedness, said, oh, take everything, man. It's all yours. Take it all, man. You, you, you want to you have fame? You want to have glory? You want to have purpose? Take it all. It's all yours. And that is the very message that Satan wants every one of us to hear. Man, do you want to have righteousness? Do you want to have goodness? Do you want to have everything in your lap? It's going to be there. But may I point this out to you? God's people have no business dabbling in evil. I am a rich man, more than I deserve the riches, riches of this world. But I understand that everything I have really belongs to Almighty God. It belongs to Jesus Christ because he gave it to me. And I'm going to show this to you. Turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 19. And let's see if this is not who you want to be associated with as well. In Revelation chapter 19, it speaks of the saints that are going to be returning with the Lord Jesus Christ in glory. Look what it says all the way down in verse 16. I love this particular one. And he hath on his vesture and his thigh a name written. What is it, what's written on that 
look at this. How many of you are expected to say Jesus Christ? That's not what's written. How many of you all think this is the Savior should be written? That's not what's written. Instead, after the order of Melchizedek, he brings everything into place. Look what it says. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This ought to cause every one of us to consider very carefully, is Jesus Christ my Lord? Now let's stop there for a moment. Is he truly my Lord? If he is my Lord, then I pray as, as he is my Lord. I consider that he is my king. Here's the thing. We don't understand kingship. But when I understand him as my king, then I humble myself in his presence. We had the judges of the Old Testament, and their entire role was to judge according to the law of Moses the things that were done wrong. But that was in tune of trying to keep people ever focused upon the things of God. In fact, as I studied, the, as I studied this together, and I was bringing everything together, I, I also stumbled upon this one passage in the book of Judges. Let me see if we can find that real quick. Let's go to the Judges, and I want to go to, I want to say it's chapter 10. Judges chapter 10. I'll get over here with you all as well. I'm in Deuteronomy now, right? And notice that we find that there is a man that is brought into favor with the Israelites. Look what it says here. And in Judges chapter 10, it says, and it, uh, matter of fact, it goes in chapter 11 is where I want to go. And in chapter 11, we find that there was one that, that came in and they began to say all of these things about a man by the name of Gideon. In verse 11 of chapter 10, it says, And the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Did not I deliver you from the Egyptians? It wasn't Gideon that delivered you. It wasn't the sons of Jephunneh. It wasn't anyone else. I delivered you out of the land of the Egyptians, and from the Amorites, and from the children of Ammon, and from the Philistines. The Zionians also, and the Amorites, and the Amalekites, and the Menonites did oppress you, and you... Uh, and you cried me, and I have delivered you out of their hand. Yet you have forsaken me. This is the part that I want you to get. You have forsaken me. Now, I'm going to stop there for a moment. Is anything impossible with our God? Now, how many of us really ask that question? How many of us really want to say everything is possible with God? There was my, a man by the name of Larry Burkett. And this preacher wanted to lead the congregation into a new building project. And Larry Burkett got up and he goes, I understand that you want to build it. And he goes, you don't have to finance this building. And every man and woman and child, they all want, yeah, yeah, we're, we're right along with you. He said, you don't have to borrow not one penny because God has all the money in the world. And everybody cheered and was excited. And he said, it's in their pockets. What do you think the people did immediately? They turned against Larry Burkett.
because we expect God to do everything for us, but we don't expect to have any responsibility of, of ourselves. The beauty of these things is this, and this is why I, I, I turned your attention to this particular writing. What I begin to see is that if I want God's presence in my life, I have to put away the things that are natural. Look what it says in verse 13. You have forsaken me and served other gods. Wherefore, I will deliver you no more. Go and cry unto the gods, unto the gods which you have chosen. <clears throat> How many of us really say, well, I, I don't believe in that. I, I think there's only one true God. Do you really? Notice what the Lord said. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. And the children of Israel said unto the Lord, We have sinned. That is the first thing. I, as I was reading the book of Judges at the very end, they went up against Benjamin. And here's the way they approached it. And you can read this in chapter 20 of this same book. They went up to, they went up to uh, the Lord and they said, Who should go up? They didn't ask God, are you going to be with us? They said, who's going to go up first? He said, well, send Judah ahead of you. And Judah went in. They got their butts kicked all the way back. So the people gave their, their cursory repentance. Oh! And God said, well, all right, now, now go up again. And once again, the people got beaten to a pulp. After being defeated twice, they came back in real repentance. Now, everybody with me? Real repentance means I am staring at my sin directly. I know where I have done wrong. Do you realize that as believers in Jesus Christ, we can say that we believe and we hold to him, but we can still allow sins in our lives? I know. I've been there. And the reality is, is that when it was good, God accepted their repentance. Look what it says in verse 15 again. And the children of Israel said unto God, We have sinned. Do thou unto us whatsoever seemeth good, and unto them that deliver us only, we pray thee this day. How many of us remember that it was the same testimony that they had in Joshua chapter 24 that said, man, we're going to serve God. We're going to serve God. We're going to serve God. We're going to serve and then we falter. But instead of repenting, we have to be brought to a place to where we will truly repent. And they put away their strange gods, meaning they, got, they destroyed them from among them, and they served the Lord, and his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. The same God that heard the cry out of Egypt is the same God that's going to deliver these people right now. And the children of Ammon were gathered together and encamped in Gilead, and the children of Israel assembled themselves together and encamped in Mizpah. And the people and the princes of Gilead said one to another, What man is he that will begin to fight and again the children, against the children of Ammon? And he said, And he shall be head over the inhabitants of Gilead. I can go on. 
But here's the thing I want everyone to understand. It is one thing to say that he is my savior. It is one thing to dedicate myself to his service. How many of us really want to have that service in him? How many of us really think that he's going to do all these things? And I want you to show, I want to show this to you. In Matthew chapter 28, it's a very simple process. In Matthew chapter 28, and I'm, I've harped on this and I've said this so many times before, but I want you to get this. In Matthew chapter 28, we have the half-hearted disciples. We're going to conclude right here. We have the half-hearted disciples. Look what it says in verse 16. Then the eleven. Now, how many of us think, man, these guys got to be spiritual? They've just seen the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They've got to be fantastic people, right? Then the eleven. Went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Now, wait a minute. We're not talking about a great multitude of people. Out of the eleven, there were doubters amongst them. I don't believe Thomas was numbered amongst them. You know why I don't believe that Thomas was one of those that doubted? Because Jesus said, you believe. Because you have seen, you've touched, you know the facts. But there was still some doubt that reigned through the rest of them. And Jesus gave them a commission that's what verse 18 is all about. And Jesus said to them, all power. Do I believe in the power of the Lord? We know that we're living in the last days. We don't do anything. Where is that written? It's not there. I promise you it's not there. But the reality is, is that he said, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go. Go into the world. You know, the other day, and I was telling this brother Randy, I think it was, I had some Mormons that came to the house. And when these Mormons came, you know, guess what? They're becoming more and more bold. And as they came to the house, they, I mean, they were dressed in Columbia jackets and everything else and looked nice. And they went, don't you want to be like us? And I thought, no, I don't. I want to be like Jesus. And if I'm like Jesus, then that means my life is going to be more like him, not like you. I'm not going to take your book and read your book. I'm going to read what Jesus wrote in the scriptures. I'm going to read his story so that I can put people to you, people like you, to an understanding or to flight. Jesus said, go. They put me to shame because they are doing what I should be doing. Now the hard shell approach is, well, if God's going to save who he's going to save anyway. Maybe. Maybe you're right. But why can't I have the fruits? Wouldn't it be great if this side and there and all of this would be so filled up and people are saying, wow, we ought to build again. No, we ought to go start another church. We've got plenty. We've got all we need. And if we get too big, we can be like our mother, the, the church that started us. I almost said the word mother church. I don't care if you get all bent out of shape with that or not. But the church that started us. But guess what? That church no longer exists. 
even though they were 1,500 members strong at one time. Why? Because they became more dependent upon themselves than they were of God. Jesus Christ took these 11 and turned the world upside down. Look around you. There's more than 11 of us. Can he turn us upside down? Can he turn this entire valley upside down for us? Yes, he can. When we truly believe and we have the right heart to say, he's my king, he's my Lord. Father, again, thank you for this message, and I pray that everything that was delivered today would be for your honor and glory. So guide us, we pray thee, and bless us as we conclude in the services. Guide and watch over us in Christ, we pray. Amen. Brother Randy, do you have a song for us, please?